Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast, an episode of the show that I am incredibly excited about. I have brought back my friend Bill D'Alessandro. I think my last episode of Bill on Contribution Margin has been my most listened to episode for a while. Maybe my number two or three. <laughs> yeah, all time. Bill, you're hearing me record this intro, so you should feel good about that. Right? I feel so, right about uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, good. People, the people love contribution margin talk. So, but I brought back Bill because Bill and I, let me give you some context. We had breakfast together recently in Charlotte near Bill's house, and we were talking about debt financing and the many forms of it that exist in e-commerce in relation to a post Bill had written elsewhere. And Bill has real finance background, unlike the rest of us jabroni marketers who started running Facebook ads and decided we could try and run businesses. And so Bill has visibility to what good and bad debt is with clarity that is unlike what a lot of you see in e-commerce. And he's just much more sophisticated about it and knowledgeable about it than many people. And Bill had a warning for the people in the e-commerce fuel forums which was that a lot of people were taking really bad money. So I said to Bill, like, we've got to talk about this again on the podcast. We've got to explain this to people and help them out. So if you in any way are taking debt in your business or thinking about it, and that includes like a credit card in any way, you are going to like this episode a lot. It is going to be helpful to you. So in just a second, we will jump into it. I really hope you like this. I think you're going to. All right, Bill, hello, how are you? All right. Glad to be back on the pod, man. I didn't realize I was doing so well on the contribution margin episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. Like, it's another finance topic to some degree. And I think people are just really, everybody knows they need to get more financially sophisticated in their e-commerce businesses. But it's hard to know where to turn and where to help. And then people like you and they know your name. And and rightly so. You've done some really good work. So I think, yeah. So this is self-serving. I'm really just trying to, just really trying to run my listener account up so I can put a higher premium on some ads in the future. So thank you. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, right, we've, for the past 10 years, we lived through like the heyday of e-com, right? Like everything was up and to the right. You could just run some Facebook ads and you basically printed money. And, you know, without getting too far into it, the last year of e-com has been less good, right? And we are probably looking <laughs> yeah, looking at maybe so, a couple, yeah. a little while longer of less good, right? So all of a sudden people are starting to care about profitability, cash conversion cycle. Wait, how much interest am I paying on that debt? There is a need now to be financially sophisticated on the business side, not just on the throw dollars at Facebook marketing side. Right. And that's something I know yeah. about, so I'm hoping I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just remind people a little bit about who you are. So just tell people what you do. Yeah. So my business is called Elements Brands. So I've been in e-commerce for over a decade. Elements Brands is essentially a roll-up of e-commerce business. So we have acquired, at one point we had as many as eight e-commerce businesses. I've borrowed, you know, north of probably pushing $20 million over that time from almost every bank, SBA loan, credit card, mezzanine debt, private debt, you know, pretty much anything you can conceive of to get those uh, we've raised equity financing to do that. So over 10 years, I've bought a ton of brands, scaled to, you know, kind of, I think I just did aggregate revenue over 130 million in revenue awesome. over the past couple of years. So done it with some scale and done it with some financial sophistication. We've got a team of, I think we're as high as 50 at one point, and about 50,000 square feet here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so there's the operator side of Bill, but I want to come back to this ECF. If people don't know e-commerce fuel, it's a 
forum. You should know it if you're operating an e-commerce business. It's unlike anything else, and it's awesome. It's a forum for e-commerce operators. Basically, if you're operating a seven-figure-plus store, you should go join e-commerce fuel. I have no affiliate link with e-commerce fuel, by the way, so just go do that. Uh, what Andrew Darren has built there is awesome. And so there's a it's a forum full of e-commerce operators and uh, and founders and business owners. And you had a post in that forum that caught my attention in part because it caught everybody's attention. And I just noticed that it was getting all this engagement in the forum. And that post in so many words was telling people to stop taking what you basically considered predatory loans. The headline was, this is an intervention. This is an intervention. Stop taking fixed fee loans was the title of the post. It got 170 replies. So that tells you that people are really interested in this, in this topic of what kind of debt they, they can and should and are, should be and are taking because people were really interesting. And it was really cool. A lot of people were saying like, I don't really understand what you're saying. Can you clarify that for me? Some people were like, oh my gosh, I've thought the same thing for a while. And other people were just going like, holy cow, how did I not realize that this is what I was doing? And so those loans, you're, the specific loans you were talking about were loans like Shopify Capital, Waveflyer, ClearCo, stuff that are cash flow based loans. And I'll let you explain what that is in just a second and why it's a problem. But what that said to me was that this is something, as somebody who's also taken those loans at points, has what that said to me is that there is resonance on this topic because there's a lot of money being offered to e-commerce brand owners, like people just sort of handing you debt, you know, just like hand just so quickly and so easily. So I think a lot of people have done that and have tried to figure out how to scale their businesses. It's not news, I think, that scaling an e-commerce business is cash intensive because of inventory. You have to go buy a bunch of inventory for your next round of growth and it's challenging. And so you had said some things about that. Now, just before I go any further, I want to say that we are reposting your original post so people can see it at your website. So it's billda.com, billda.com slash debt. So if you go to billda.com slash debt, and that, that, of course, link is in the show notes, you can go and see Bill's original post that sparked this and hear him combusting on the internet about these loans of great love and care for other operators, of course. Okay, so let's walk through that basic principle first. Like, what are these loans that people are taking and why in the world are they so bad? Sure. So if you're an e-commerce entrepreneur, you have undoubtedly received of cold emails with from firms like, you know, ClearCo, Wayflyer, Ampla, 8fig, OnDeck, right? And they basically go like this. They go, would you like to borrow $100,000? It's only a 9% fixed fee and you pay the loan as a percentage of sales, you know, over six months. And if you're an e-commerce entrepreneur and you go, oh, geez, like I could really use $100,000 to buy inventory or, you know, whatever, you go, oh, well, it's only a 9% fee. That sounds not so bad. Seems like a good deal. And that is what they freaking want you to think. Actually, these loans are insane if you know how to do interest rate math. And if I could summarize the business model of these companies in one sentence, it is exploit the fact that entrepreneurs cannot do interest rate math, period. That is their business model. And the other thing that should raise red flags for you is the, how easy it is to get these loans. If you can click a button and someone wires you $100,000 without doing any diligence or needing a personal guarantee or wanting to know if your business is doing well, what that means is they expect to lose their money a decent amount of the time, so the interest rate must be really high to compensate for the risk that they are taking of not doing underwriting. Yeah. So you can assume that an easier loan is to get, the worse the terms probably are. And if you think you are getting a really easy loan on really fantastic terms, you are wrong on one of those two points. 
Yeah, makes so much sense. And I mean, I think what there's sort of a response to that would be is like, well, we have the underwriting. It's called plugging into your Shopify store so we can see exactly how much revenue you make. So we have some sense of those things. But of course, that's not really true because what they can't see is all the other debt you have and all the other stuff lined up. They can't so, see all the other debt. They can't see all the other costs. I will refer listeners back to the episode on contribution margin. Revenue is not profit. There's a whole episode about that, right? Like they cannot underwrite you without seeing your tax returns and your, you know, spending time with you and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, so let's talk about interest rate math a little bit. So I don't know if there's a way, again, this is gonna be a little, I think, hard to communicate on a podcast, but we'll do our best. And then again, you can go see the full post where Bill lays this out more on that site. But talk a little bit more about the interest rate math and why it is so bad on these loans. And, and just, sorry, just to repeat really fast, if you think about how these work, right, the revenue the amount you pay back changes based on your revenue. So as revenue comes in, they take a percentage of that. And that's what the percent that they advertise is. They advertise as X percent of revenue. Yeah, well, sort of. So it depends. So there's kind of two percents that you'll see quoted, the fee percent and then the take rate, like how fast you pay it back, right? Because it's a little harder with audio, I've got a simplified example that I think we can walk people through. So probably received an offer like this. You know, we'll loan you $100,000. The fee is 9%. So you pay back $109,000. And then it's over six months, right? So it's 180 days. So all we're going to do is divide the $109,000 you owe us, right? Over six months, divided by six, and you're going to pay that back every single month, right? So $109,000, the $100,000 base plus the 9% fee. It's a six-month term. We're just going to divide it by six. You make six monthly payments. Yep. 9% fee, right? I want to walk people through the actual cost of capital on that loan. So the way you need to think about it is a 9% fee for six months, right? So you might say, well, what's the actual interest rate on this loan? Is it 18%? Oh, I'll just double it. No, it's actually much more than that because that would assume you had all the money for the entire time. For the entire six months, you're saying? For the entire six months. So, And you don't because you have to start paying it back. Right, if you're paying 9%, in six months, so you have the entire $100,000 for six months, and then you owe $9,000 at that six-month rate, that would be an 18% APR. Yes, if you got $100,000 and then kept it for six months, and That's then right. six months later gave back $109,000, that is an 18% APR, yes. Okay, great, yeah, awesome. So then, right, because you annualize the interest rate of 9%, and so over a six-month period, just double it. That's right. Cool. So, okay, great. So that's what people think of. I've certainly made that mistake myself, just so we're totally clear here. Like, I'm part of the suckers. So why is that wrong? So that is wrong because you actually don't have the money the whole time. So, because what they do is they say, okay, you're going to owe us back $109,000. We're going to divide it by six, and you're going to pay that back, you know, one-sixth of it every month. So what you really have is six embedded, what I'm going to call mini loans. You have a loan for one month at 9% fee, you have a loan at two months for 9% fee, and three months and four months and five months and six months. So really, only one-sixth of the money you have kept the whole time and paid the 9% fee, aka an 18% APR. So All on that one-sixth, you had 18%. What about the other ones? Yes. So the other ones are much, much higher, right? Because you kept the money shorter and shorter. And at risk of not becoming an Excel spreadsheet on a podcast, you know, as you can imagine, right, the basics of interest rate math are the less time you have the money, that 9% 
becomes annualized a much higher and higher number, right? So if you have a money for six months, you just double it. If you have the money for three months, you have to quadruple it. You have to multiply it by four. So if you pay a 9% fee to have money for three months, it's a 36% APR. If you pay a 9% fee to have money for one month, you have to multiply it by 12. That's a 108% APR. So to understand the true cost of capital of this loan, you have to understand that you have six essentially mini loans and you have to average the cost of capital of each. So you have six loans, one at 18%, right? And gradient all the way up to 108%. There's a spreadsheet calculator where you can do this, buildea.com slash debt, if you would like to play with it. But I will give you the answer. The true cost of capital of this loan is not 9%, it is 44% is the effective interest rate that you have paid. $100,000 for six months, Oh, it's just a 9% fee and you pay one six back every month. That is like borrowing money at 44% that is twice as bad as putting it on your credit card. Yeah. Huge gulf. Yeah, so that comp is really helpful to like how bad it was on your credit card comp because people know that like a credit card interest is not going to be your cheapest interest or is not gonna be the cheapest loan you ever get if you ever pay that thing back late, right? So twice right. as bad as your credit card, that is a massive amount worse. So the other thing I was to say is that these loans actually get worse than that, right? Because a lot of them get like paid back daily as percentages of sales. And yes, so if you, could, yes. you just play the same game. And because they're a percentage of sales, a lot of the times, especially if you don't negotiate these at all, it's actually the case that the more successful that you are, like let's say you have an awesome month better than expected. And because you're paying a fixed percentage back on your sales a lot of times, you actually are paying even more of that money up front, which makes the cost of capital worse if you pay it back faster. Because you pay it back faster, which means you had right. the money for less time, so it makes the effective interest rate go up. So to your That's point, right. if daily payments are required on a six-month, same six-month loan, you actually have 180 mini loans. Right. right. Right? So you had the first day you make a payment, you had that money for one day, and you paid nine, a 9% fee on that money. To give you an idea, that is a 3,285% interest rate. That is nine times 365. You're better off walking down to a local cash advance place at that point. <laughs> and shooting yourself. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. All right, so is there any world where you think somebody should take those loans? So yes. So here's the crazy thing. Yes, right? Because when you think about, you know, in finance, we have this idea called the opportunity cost of capital, right? So if you can deliver a better return, we'll use the 44%, right? The six-month loan with monthly repayments. If you can take that $100,000 and deliver a better return than 44%, if you can compound that money better than 44%, you will still come out ahead, right? So you could make a case where, yes, I can use that money to buy inventory. My markup is five times on that inventory. I have no other costs. It's like just a wholesale order and I got to turn and burn it. Yes, it could make sense to take that loan. Huge but. Even though it made sense to take that loan, you didn't lose money. Is that really the bar we're talking about here? Like you didn't get robbed? <laughs> there are so many other ways that you could have financed, right, that $100,000 at way less than 44%, right? So just because you made money at 44% doesn't mean you shouldn't have just put it on your freaking credit card at 20%. 
So that's the most obvious one, right? Right away is like if you have any limit left on your credit card, that's an immediate reduction in cost of capital gigantically, right? And so, so like that's the obvious thing. But this is actually where the question gets in. So like I just imagine a listener right now going, I know enough to know I don't want to pay 44% on my money. That's a bad interest rate, right? Great. But like, what else do I do instead? And I think this is where the question gets really interesting. Is like, how do we actually move away, not only from the question of like, what is bad money to like, what is a good finance tech stack or like a finance stack look like in your business? What are the better types of money people should be going to get? Like maybe you can start walking through how you'd think about that. Just imagine yourself exactly the situation you said. You know for a fact it's a wholesale order. You know you're going to make money on the order. You know you're going to beat the 44%, but there's better money than that 44% out there. What are the better ways to finance that? Great question. So I love this topic, right? This is like the optimizing the finance stack for e-commerce businesses. Yeah. And we can yeah. go for hours on this. And I'm yeah. happy to go for hours with other people also. Just go full Joe Rogan and just like the three hour deep yeah, dive. We, I can go forever. I mean, this is like the stuff that I geek out over. So let's take it kind of like in descending order of cost of capital, right? So you're an entrepreneur, like where can you go get money? So we've kind of pegged like so these cash flow advance loans or these fixed fee loans at about 40-ish percent, right? The other place to go get capital that is the other like most expensive place to get capital is equity financing. So most investors, when you think about it, equity has a cost of capital also, right? Someone who invests in your business, if they invest a million dollars and expect to get $2 million back next year, that's a 100% cost of capital. You effectively pay them 100%. Whatever return they realize is what you paid them to invest equity, right? Yep. Equity costs of capital are all over the place, but for e-commerce businesses, which you're probably taking you know, angel money or small investor dollars, people are gonna be looking, they're gonna be underwriting to make between 50 and 100 or more percent per year on equity yep. capital. So to give you an idea, like these cash flow loans are close to the cost of equity capital. So what's the argument for taking equity then? So the argument that's, that's for expensive. taking equity, so here's the argument for taking equity, you don't have to pay it back, right? right. <laughs> like right. if things don't go as planned, they share the downside with you also. If things don't go as planned with the debt, you know, they don't share the downside in the same way, right? You still have to pay yeah. it back. Yeah. Right. So the argument for taking equity is when you're not sure how things will go, when you're really trying to shoot the moon or when debt is not available to you. I mean, generally, right, you take the lowest cost of capital financing source that is available to you. If no debt capital sources are available to you, you got to take equity or you don't take money at all. No. Right. Yeah. So you just try to work down the stack. And maybe the other thing you'd say about equity too is that like sometimes you're also essentially paying someone for their time in the sense that like if you get the right kind of investor and this, this is the rare investor I think in some ways but like you've told me stories about some investors who have been a huge help to you Bill in your journey that like those people are like man whatever you pay whatever you end up paying them out on that was like worth every dollar that you paid exactly. them right because they're like yeah. we're actually strategic partners as well so that's a big difference between that expensive debt and them is that the expensive debt people just want their money back they absolutely do not care about anything else they're never going to there and be strategic about your business with you. But an equity partner might actually be somebody who you really want in your corner invested and having skin in the game with you, you know? Exactly. Yeah, you could bring on an equity partner and they help you get to another level, which you would have never gotten to without them. And yeah, they yeah. made a 1,000% on the investment, but you made $20 million. So life is good, right? Right, totally. Okay, so there's equity. 
Equity and cash flow loans. Next step down is a credit card, right? Most small business credit cards are between 20 and 25% interest. And you might say, well, that's great. You know, Facebook takes a credit card. You know, all the other places take a credit card. My vendor does not take a credit card. What can I do? Like, I need to spend $100,000 on inventory. Well, there are a couple of services out there. One's called Plastic with a Q. There's another one called Melio Payments. There's a couple more where basically you will put your credit card in their software and they will cut a check and charge you a fee. That fee is usually like one to one and a half percent. I think it's usually one and a half percent or two percent. Now, if you're doing math, right, like that adds up. So you've got to pay the revolving rate on whatever your credit card is, 20 to 25%, plus the extra fee that you paid to convert, you know, to cut a check on your credit card. Which right? is going to so get you into the mid 30s a lot of times in terms of your actual APR. High some, 20s, yes. Yeah. So still cheaper though, a lot of times, some of these cash flow loans. Yes. And a credit card has cash back a lot of times. And a credit card has cash back. Right. So there's actually some money coming back to you from spending the credit card in a way that probably is going to mitigate that cost a little bit, depending on how much you're just like sort of keeping it maxed out and pushing the payments out and all those things, right? Yep. Credit card cash back can sometimes mitigate the plastic or Melio fee. Right, right. So there's an important thing that as we go down the stack, I think it's important to discuss, which is the concept of a personal guarantee. Because the personal guarantee is going to impact the availability of debt to you and the cost of your capital significantly. Put in layman's terms, a personal guarantee means, Andrew, I'm going to loan you $100,000 or your, I'm going to loan your business $100,000. And if your business does not pay me back the $100,000, you personally will pay me back the $100,000 up to and including mortgaging your house. So the personal guarantee is some very strong teeth. Lenders really like it. Borrowers really hate it. But if you give a personal guarantee, lenders will be willing to lend you more money at a lower cost of capital because it's safer, right? Which is one of the fundamental things about debt is the riskier the loan, the more expensive it will be and the smaller it will be. The safer the loan, cheaper and larger it will be typically. And I've actually never taken, besides my mortgage, up any loan with like a with an actual personal guarantee on it. Like are you, when they're underwriting that process, they're underwriting your personal finances, right? They will. So they will take what's yeah. called a PFS, a personal financial statement. They want to know about all the stocks you hold, all the marketable securities, your house, your car, you know, anything that's valuable. And basically what they're going to want to see is that you have enough assets that they can come after your personal assets to satisfy right. the loan. If you right. do, it's the cost of that loan is going to come down. By the way, interesting point of finance, your mortgage is actually not personally guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. I, I realized I remember <laughs> I said it actually, yeah. Your yeah. mortgage is secured by the asset, which is the home. The right. bank may seize the home, but if they can't sell the home for as much as the outstanding mortgage balance, they cannot come after you for the difference. Yeah. Right. The, only, the most they can do is take the asset, which is actually what you want with a business loan. So a non-personally guaranteed business loan is secured only by the assets of the business, meaning they can come take your business assets. They can take all your inventory, all your accounts receivable, you know, whatever it might be, like not that's good, but they cannot pierce the veil and take your house, your stocks, your car, et cetera. So generally the thing I will give to the cash flow loans is they are usually not personally guaranteed, right? Whereas many of the small business credit cards and talk about things that entrepreneurs don't know, for example, if you have a Capital One Spark card, which I know many of people do, getting 2% cash back, yep. that credit card is personally guaranteed. Just because of the business credit card, if you read the fine print, you have signed a personal guarantee, which means if your business cannot pay back that credit card, their Capital One is coming after you to pay it back. So it's important for entrepreneurs to know 
to read fine print. And you can even ask us because some of these fixed fee, you know, merchant cash finance people are adding personal guarantees now as well. So if you are borrowing anything, a question you must ask, is this debt personally guaranteed or is it secured only by the business assets? And you need to get a straight answer on that if you're borrowing money from anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've brought on the concept of personal guarantee. Now let's say somebody's comfortable with that, right? And they go there. Um, so now we've moved past the credit card and maybe the plastic element of that. Can we talk specifically about something like Parker for a second and sort of where they fit into all of this? Because you know they've spent a lot of money marketing towards e-commerce entrepreneurs as well. So like, what's your assessment of that particular option? Yeah, so Parker's an interesting one. I actually like Parker. So I use, we have a Parker card yeah. at Elements Brands. So Parker's product is this. It's a credit card that you do not have to pay back for 60 days. And it's a little different than a typical small business credit card. I'll use your Spark card, Andrew, as an example. So your Spark card, basically, you charge things all month. And then at the end of the month, they add up how many things you've charged and you pay them that lump sum in 30 days. So if you take each charge, if you charge something at the very beginning of the period, you yeah. essentially had that money 60 for 60 days, days right. right? Before you had to pay it back with no interest. If you charge something at the very end of the period, you had the money for 30 days before you had to pay it back. So on average, your Capital One Spark Card and most small business credit cards are effectively net 45 products, yep. right? On blended average, they're roughly net 45 products. The Parker card is really interesting because Parker does a little bit differently. They don't add up all of your charges for the month. They send you a statement every day. So if you charge something on the first of the month, you have exactly 60 days and then they will debit your bank account for only the things you spent on that day. If you spend something on the, buy something on the last day of the month on the Parker card, they still give you 60 days. Right, so it's a true net 60 product. So you get 15 days longer with the Parker card than you do with a Spark card. So if stretching your cash conversion cycle, keeping cash longer is important to you, the Parker card is a great product. The other thing that is critical to know about the Parker card is not personally guaranteed, which is important to know and a big thing that makes it different than the Spark card or any other small business card. Yeah, so, okay. No PG is a big deal with Parker. That is awesome. What kind of limits are you getting on Parker typically? Do you know? Large. I think ours is yeah. a million bucks. So you can go really high on Parker. Yeah. So tell me if you think I'm thinking about this right. This is the way I've thought about that trade-off that you just made. So like my Spark card, personal guarantee, like you said, standard credit card interest rates. So, which is fine. But that card is 2% cash back on everything, which is pretty high. So I have thought about Parker has no cash back, correct? Correct. No cash back. Yeah. That's the trade-off. Yeah. So in my mind, that is effectively a 36% APR to some degree, right? I actually am not doing the, the APR math exactly right. But by the opportunity cost of the 2% back you get is meaningful in terms of the amount you're functionally paying by not receiving it, right? People don't think of that as paying, but that's what it is. You're paying 2% of money that you otherwise would get and you're trading the 2% for the cash back and the PG. So yeah, the way I would think about it, so that's, if you want to really split hairs, think about it, right? So yeah. at a service level, it seems as though, you know, you're getting 60 days of money and you're giving up 2%, right? So you're getting two months of money for 2%. There's six two-month periods in a year. So you're going to need to multiply that by six. So 2% over 60 days is effectively 12%, right? Feels like a 12% interest rate, right? You're paying on those yeah, 30 good days, point. Yeah. right? Feels like 12%. But Andrew, you bring up a really good point. If your alternative is actually the Spark card, where you would get 45 days anyway, you've given up your 2% for just 15 extra days. Right. 
So there's 26 15-day periods in a year times that 2%. That is a 52% APR, right? Which starts to feel pretty wicked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is exactly what you said. Like sometimes, again, like for pushing out terms and stuff like that for cash flow, like it can make a lot of sense that people need to do this type of thing. But that's where I've like been a little bit skeptical of Parker to some degree because it feels to me like trading that for that 2%, especially for some, I mean, these numbers get big for brands. They get really big, especially like people are putting their ad spend on this, right? Like if you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, like that 2% adds up a lot really fast. And now what you said though is really important, which is the PG on the Spark card. And so like trading that out, yeah, it's a huge deal because like, I mean, I just, I know from talking to people like who had a big credit card number for a long time until they finally got out of it and that just had kept a bunch of money on a credit card from payments in a business that was like ooh, kind of on the edge and i mean he, he had a pg on the credit card and he was like it stressed me out like on top of the actual potential cost of like the potential you know moment of actually having to you know mortgage your house or whatever or sell a bunch of stock and pay that off at some point there's just like the daily stress and that is a cost in your life like just it's like i know you can't quantify that but that is a cost of like knowing that there's just like a couple hundred thousand dollars following you around all the time that like you better hope gets paid off you know that's stressful and so so yeah it's, it's worth noting and it's also worth noting too that some people can't sign pgs right if you don't own 100 yeah. of your business it's not really fair or it's especially risky for you to sign a PG, right? Let's say you own half the business and you're personally guaranteeing all of the business's debt. You have half the upside and all the downside. That's not really fair either. So you'll no. see people looking for ways to move away from PGs when they don't own all of their business as well. So yeah. the Parker card, if you compare it to the Spark Capital One card, it feels 15 days longer and you forego 2% cash back for 15 days, which can yeah. feel expensive, but you dodge the PG and you get a much higher limit than Capital yeah. One will give you. So yeah. there's a place for this in your toolbox. Okay. Let's make sure, I want to be sensitive to your time, let's make sure that we cover anything else that you think are sort of like key ways to think about this issue and maybe even some positive advice about if there's an order of operations people should be going through or thinking about. Like we haven't talked about an SBA loan. That might be something that you want to bring up. Like what are the other kind of yeah. big key things that you'd want to be letting people into on this? So let me move down the stack. So below credit cards, right? And by the way, before we leave credit cards, if you are running a successful e-commerce business and you are not banking several hundred thousand dollars a year in credit card cash back, please call me and let me help you. This is like literal yep. free money that you need to be capturing. I mean, I know countless e-com entrepreneurs who are banking 100, 200, $300,000 a year in credit card cash back. And yep. you don't have to spend any more money. You just got to have the right credit cards. So we put a pin in that, but it needed to be said. But it's really um, true. Like it is free money. Like I think that's a really, yeah. Call totally free money, 100% free money. So moving on down the stack, the next thing that you're going to do is you really should investigate a line of credit for your business. And a line of credit typically comes from a real bank with names like, you know, Truist or Wells Fargo. Now, the thing is like those big banks, they usually don't like to get out of bed for less than, you know, $10 million. So you're going to need to go to a smaller bank, a credit union, a local bank, a regional bank, right? who will do smaller lines of credit. Basically, you need a bank that no one's ever heard of but has a federal banking charter, right? They would be very excited to put a million-dollar line of credit in place for you, and they're going to, you know, that line, it's going to be a floating rate line of credit, but it's going to be like the Fed funds rate plus probably 5 to 6%. You know, now that'll put you at, you know, 9 to 10% right now, 
in past years, it was bananas cheap. It was like six or 7%, right? But the Fed has hiked rates. And if the Fed cuts rates, your rate will go down. But this is a phenomenal way to do kind of the everyday financing of your business is to get a line of credit in place with a local bank because you can just go to that. It's like a big credit card, right? You can just call them and go, send me a hundred. I want to draw a hundred thousand dollars and they will draw it and it will tick. There's no fee, right? It's not like this fixed fee BS. If you keep the money for two days, they will charge you a couple dollars of interest. They'll charge you a true annualized rate of interest, right? You can draw it and pay it back like a credit card at roughly a 10% interest rate. It's a great financial product. You can use it for inventory. You can use it for operating expenses. You can even use it to pay off some of these stupid, really high interest rate other loans if you want. So that involves usually going to, like sometimes walking in to your local bank, saying you want a small business loan or line of credit. You usually have to produce financials, tax returns, like they're going to want to get to understand your business. And this is a good thing. Remember, the more pain in the ass, right? right, The cheaper the loan is going to be, they're actually underwriting you, right? Right. Versus the other guys who don't underwrite you and have to charge you a ton of money. The fact that they're a pain in your ass is what lets them be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's like the perfect alternative. The reason people don't do this is because of the time and effort it goes to like going and securing these things. And it's typically a bunch of time up front and then some maintenance time over time, right? They're going to want updated financials over time. Yep. They're going to want you to send them quarterly financials, like probably your annual tax returns. Like, yeah, they're going to be on you, but that's because you've got a million dollars of their money, you know, at a reasonable interest rate, right? It's reasonable. Oftentimes though, these guys will try to ask for a personal guarantee. You should push back on that. You know, plenty of banks out there, they will loan on the assets of the business. They'll loan against what's called the borrowing base of the business. The way they typically calculate a borrowing base is like the liquidate. So it's like three inputs of the formula. One any like real hard assets to the business. Like if you own real estate, if you own machinery and equipment, like hard assets that are depreciating on your balance sheet, banks love to lend against that. However, yeah. if you're an e-commerce business, you probably don't have any of that crap, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you're probably asset light. So the two things you probably do have are accounts receivable and inventory. And a bank will consider those as borrowing base. Inventory, they typically will haircut the value of by 50% right? Because they assume they have to seize it. They have to discount it. They might not be able to recover full value to get their loan back. So whatever inventory number you have in your balance sheet, divide it by two. That's your borrowing base number for inventory. And then look at whatever accounts receivable. Are you saying the cost of goods divide by two or the retail price? The cost of goods divided by two, but you're carrying it on your your balance sheet at cost of goods. So your cost of goods divided by two, that's your borrowing base for inventory. And then your accounts receivable, they will usually give you 85% credit, 80 or 85% credit for accounts receivable. So if you got a million bucks of AR, that's $800,000 of borrowing base right there, right? And if you really try, you might be able to convince them, and I have successfully in the past, that your Amazon account where they pay you every two weeks is in fact accounts receivable, right? And it should be considered a borrowing base, right, from Amazon. Now you have to have the accounting good enough that you're daily accruing how much money Amazon owes you and all that stuff, but you can use that as accounts receivable. So usually your inventory and your AR could get you, even if you got a small e-commerce business, a couple hundred grand of line of credit from a small bank, which could be all you need to take out a Wayflyer loan or a Settle loan or ClearCo or whoever, right? So, but you're gonna have to deal with some pain in the ass and you're gonna have to convince them that you are credit worthy, that your business makes money Etc. So that's kind of 10%-ish. Great debt, everyone what, should have. How much time do you think that takes? Just ballpark the hours involved. I know this is a ridiculous question, but yeah. 60 to 90 days and probably a good 40 hours of misery. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was trying to think about too, like the sort of 
maybe an underrated part of that is like you can go chase down cheaper cost of capital, but at the cost of your time, that actually may end up paying more than uh, you know a Wayflyer loan without a PG. You know, like it's it depends on the size of your business and what your job is and some of those things. And also, like if you if your business is not healthy, it's going to be much harder to get a meaningful. Like if your balance sheet's upside down, yeah, it's just not even worth pursuing if your balance sheet is upside down, really. So if you're distressed, you may be much more interested in the Wayflyer loan that you plan to default on in a month. <laughs> right. Right. It's the Maytab Bogle playbook. <laughs> right. And so the line of credit thing is not a thing you should do when you need money tomorrow. It's the thing you should get in place now. So six months from now, when you need money, you can just draw it. Right. Yeah. So everybody should go get it in place. The larger amount of money you're loaning, the more the marginal cost of your time or the less the marginal cost of your time makes a difference. Right. Like if the actual marginal amount you're getting lent a debt you're taking is like a couple thousand dollars in terms of your cost on it. Well, like 40 hours may or may not be worth a couple thousand dollars to, you know what I mean? But if you're talking about a million, a couple million bucks worth of money to where like that interest payment is going to represent a large number, then it's probably worth your time to go and pursue and get rid of your time. Yeah. So the last thing to talk about here is an SBA loan. And I talk about it last because it's actually some of the cheapest capital you'll ever get. You can usually only get an SBA loan in connection with buying a business. Can you tell people just what it is again? Just like remind people what an SBA loan, what so SBA an stands SBA loan stuff. stands for the Small Business Administration. It's a government agency. And the way it works is our government wants to incentivize banks to loan to small businesses, which is a good thing. So we have a program called the SBA 7A loan, which says, hey, bank, loan Andrew money. I know he looks super risky and he's small and all this stuff, but if he doesn't pay you back, we will pay you back, we being the government. And they backstop, they guarantee the loan, which induces the bank to make a loan to you at a very attractive interest rate. And the SBA says, here's all this terrible paperwork you have to do, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops and all this stuff. But if you originate this loan bank and it's conforming, it's compliant, and Andrew fails to pay you, we will make you whole. Now, it's important to note, SBA loans are personally guaranteed. So the order of repayment on a personally guaranteed SBA loan, which they all are, is this. First, the business tries to pay. If the business can't pay, they will liquidate your business. If there is still balance left over, they will come after your personal assets. They will liquidate all of your personal assets. If there is still balance left over, then the government pays. Yeah. So the government backstop is basically for the delta between, so like let's say you're borrowing you know, $5 million, you've got a million dollars of business assets, a million dollars of personal assets, there's an air gap there of $3 million of no asset coverage. That's the guarantee, the federal guarantee, that induces the bank to make the loan, the SBA loan. How cheap is that capital typically? It can be kind of high single digits now in today's interest rate environment. You know, seven, be like eight, nine, something like that. Prime plus one typically, something like that? Plus two or three I've seen. Okay. I mean, those spreads are starting to blow out a little bit too as yeah. things get uncertain, but yeah, like, they, they got really tight in the heyday, but it's still yeah. really great debt. The other thing that's phenomenal about an SBA loan is it has a 30 year, sorry, not 30, not that's a movie mortgage. It has a 10 year amortization, which means the payments are really low because you have 10 years to pay back principal. So that is the other thing that is killer about an SBA loan is generally the payments are low because you have a long time to pay it back and it's a low interest rate. The terms on an SBA loan, I will just sum up by saying this, the SBA debt are the best terms you will ever see in your life. There is no debt in the world that is better than SBA debt. And the reason for that is it is personally guaranteed and is guaranteed by Uncle Sam, the full yeah. faith and credit of the United States government, and he gets the best rates in the world. But the personal guarantee is a little less scary there because you get so long to pay it back. 
True. And I actually, I have a podcast called Acquisition Anonymous and I had an SBA lender on. And she basically, we did a whole episode about workout. If your SBA loan goes upside down, how do they work out? Like when do they actually take your house, et cetera? And it turns out, even if the business goes away, as long as you keep making payments, they will not take your house. Even if you're yeah. like working a job and making payments, they will not take your house. Right. That's, That's super interesting. Let's make sure to link that episode. Actually, that would be probably a good follow up. So send me that, that episode and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay, we are basically out of time. The truth is that the way this works in your business is going to be unique to your business, to its size, to your appetite for personal guarantee or not, how important that is to you, all kinds of different elements, what you're trying to accomplish. We didn't even talk about some of the inventory lenders like Settle, etc. But those are in there. We didn't talk deeply really about different ways to think about credit cards and all that. You just sort of we name checked quickly that stuff. Bill, you are starting a service where you are going to help entrepreneurs with this problem. Explain to people what you are doing. I think this is like one of the coolest ideas in e-commerce right now, uh, what you are trying to accomplish. And I, again, I'm not being paid to say this. I think what you are offering is really awesome. Tell people about it a little bit. Yeah, so I think to call it a service glorifies it a little bit. <laughs> what I would like to do is help some people and get paid to do it. So I, I don't do any consulting right now. I've helped a lot of people for free in my life. I would like to start doing some consulting. I think there's a lot of people out there that need help with this type of thing. So if you would like help essentially looking at the financial stack of your business and optimizing it, you know, I've worked in investment banking and private equity. I have a finance degree, you know, like this is my wheelhouse. I think I'm quite good at it. I think I can help a lot of people. So if you would like me to kind of get in the down and dirty with your business, dissect your balance sheet, talk to you about your situation, make some introductions to some lenders, recommend some credit cards and get you tight. We're recording this episode in January of the new year. If you want to get like tight and professional on the business side, on the capital optimization side of your e-com business, reach out to me yeah. and you can do it buildda.com slash debt or slash consulting and we can talk about getting something in place. Yeah, or you can just DM Bill on Twitter too if that's easier for you. It's at BillDA. All that will be linked in the show notes. Listen, there's nobody in e-commerce that I would more strongly recommend to do this kind of thing in your business. If I was running an e-commerce business right now, I would absolutely be calling Bill immediately after this episode and saying like, whatever I have to do like to get your time is to do this because like the long run, especially as you grow and these percentages represent larger and larger amounts of money, the long run amount of money that this will cost you by doing this wrong is so gigantic. And then, and then take that to another step. If you try and sell your business, the amount of money, the multiple off of the profit you lost, it is a tremendous amount of cost to you to not do this right. And I bet you're not doing this right if you're anything like me. There is meaningful amounts of sophistication here. And as Bill said, some of these lenders are preying on the fact that they know that most of us are not that sophisticated about this. Yours truly included. It's just not the background I came from. I need the help. There's a lot of times when I've read Bill's stuff or talked to Bill and been like, like, oh, wait a minute, I made that mistake. So I just can almost guarantee you there's a way in which Bill can be helpful to you in your business. I will absolutely be making the recommendation to a couple of my clients to think about this as well. So go reach out to Bill, get his time. And he was running a big business. His time is going to be limited. I would recommend you do this fast to get in the front of the line. So Bill, thank you so much. I think this is super, super helpful to people. Again, go follow the show notes. All the links are there. If this episode will be helpful to somebody else as well, please pass it along to them. I think there's a lot of people in e-commerce who could get some value from it. Thanks again for your time, Bill. Thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. Great being here yeah. again. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the show with Bill D'Alessandro. I hope this is helpful to you. If you like this episode and you haven't listened to my episode of him talking about contribution margin, I thought that was a great and helpful episode as well. Go back and give that a listen. 
everything we talked about is in the show notes here. So again, if this was useful to you, go check those show notes, go follow up with Bill and make sure that you go get his time and help optimizing the financial stack in your business. I think it will be a great service and I'm really glad he's doing it. When I was having breakfast with him that I referenced in Charlotte, I pushed him on this and said, like, you've got to offer the service to people. He was thinking about it. So this is going to be really useful. So I hope that is useful to you. If you like this show, please, I would love it if you would send it to somebody else who would like it as well. And then I also want you to make sure to stay tuned and subscribe. I'm going to do another solo episode next week. But then after that, I'm going to have Matthew Bertulli from Lomi and Pila Case. He's run a bunch of big businesses talking customer experience, customer delight kind of the core things that make a good e-commerce business good and even following up on some of the conversation I had around Barnes & Noble as a turnaround story that sort of surprised me in all those ways. So Matthew's a really experienced e-commerce entrepreneur and founder. He's got built a couple of really good businesses and, and so I think you'll really like that a lot as well. That's it. Please reach out to me if you have questions and thoughts on Twitter at Andrew J. Ferris or just email me at podcast at ajfgrowth.com. And as always, if you would like to work with me and do any coaching you know, for your business, think about kind of where the next steps are. I've been really enjoying that kind of work with people recently. I don't have any more space right now for true ongoing all the time growth services, but could maybe take on one, maybe two more clients. And so would love to talk to you about that. You can go to ajfgrowth.com and see all the information there. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I will see you next time. Hey!